Thank you so much for joining us for today's podcast. We'll get started in just a moment. If this is your first time here, please consider subscribing so that you may stay up to date with the latest podcast. And if our podcast brings value to your life, please consider sharing it with family and friends. Thanks for listening. And now here's today's podcast. Thanks for joining us for the Covenant Living Broadcast with Pastor John Butler of Covenant Life Church, located at 130 Atlantic Avenue in Bremen, Georgia. All right, let's, uh, let's dive into the Word. You ready to get in the Word? Amen. Grab your Bibles and turn with me, please, to two places. We're going to start with one verse in Isaiah 53, and then we're going to pivot to the rest of our time in Mark chapter 5. So one of the old, one of the new, Isaiah 53, and then we'll land in Mark 5. Isaiah 53 and 3, we're reading from the New Living Translation today. This is written by the prophet Isaiah about 700 years before the Lord uh, made his appearance on the earth in the manger. So he's speaking prophetically, but he's speaking past tense about the life that Jesus was going to live. He said this, Jesus was despised and rejected. Jesus was despised and rejected. A man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we didn't care. He was despised and rejected. A man of sorrow, acquainted with deepest grief. He was despised and we didn't care. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for the chance to get into your word today. What an incredible blessing that you have preserved your word for us down through the ages and and we are eager to partake of the bread of life today. I pray that that we break it faithfully in the whole counsel of God, that we receive it as your word, that that your people today would not hear my voice, but hear yours. They wouldn't hear my words, but hear your word. And Lord, I pray that you would change our lives as a result of your word today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, of the thousands of ways that this life can bring us pain, there are a few of those ways that are universal. All of us tend to experience a few of these, no matter who you are. Rejection is one of those ways. Every one of us at some point in our lives, and most of us at multiple points in our lives, are going to have to deal with rejection. The harsh reality is, maybe surprising to you, that as wonderful as you are, not everybody is going to like you. Have you lived long enough to recognize that? Have you lived long enough to experience that despite your sparkling personality and your warm disposition, that some people are going to see you in Walmart and go down a different aisle intentionally, right? There are people in your life that are going to hear you speak and are going to roll their eyes so hard you're going to hear it. That's just going to happen. There are lots of reasons for rejection. Sometimes we deserve it, right? Sometimes we do such ridiculous things in in a relationship. Sometimes we deserve to be rejected. Sometimes it's more a function of what's going on in the other person's life, whatever season that they're in, mindset that they're in. And sometimes it's just complicated, isn't it? 
So despite the reasons, and there are many, rejection is still a bitter and difficult pill to swallow. Now the verse that we just read, if you haven't read it in a while, or if you've never read it, it may have surprised you. Because I think most people, when we think of Jesus, most people think of a sweet little baby Jesus in the manger. Or we think of the dying Savior, arms outstretched on the cross as he's taking away the penalty for our sin. But what we seem to forget is that between the manger and the cross, he lived over 33 years of his life walking on this earth. And, and I think we forget that by today's standards, Jesus' ministry was not exactly a rousing success. He didn't build a megachurch. He wasn't famous for, for, for being on Facebook. He wasn't famous for being so popular. See, the problem with Jesus' ministry is that he peaked really early. Like when he started healing and casting out demons and, and feeding tens of thousands of people and raising people from the dead, people swarmed him. Like he couldn't go anywhere. They followed him around the Sea of Galilee trying to anticipate where his boat might land. He, they were swarming him like paparazzi. But once he started talking about sacrifice, once he started preaching about service and repentance and carrying your cross, the crowds started to thin a little bit. And then they didn't call him Lord, then they called him lunatic. Called him heretic. They walked away in droves. It got so bad actually at one point, in one service if you want to call it that, that the teachings of Christ were so offensive to the masses, they were leaving in such numbers that he turned to the disciples and said, y'all going to go too? You going to leave me too? You might as well join the crowd and just go ahead and walk away. As a matter of fact, they tried to kill Jesus several times in several places before he could ever even make it to the cross. Once was even in his own hometown. The kids he went to school with tried to kill him. Jesus was despised and rejected. Not just sweet little baby Jesus in the manger, despised and rejected. A man of sorrows acquainted with deepest grief. There is nothing that we can go through on this earth. No grief, no depth of, of emotional pain, nothing that we can go through in this life that Jesus has not also experienced it. Jesus knew what rejection was all about. And so today we're going to be begin a brand new series called Rejecting Jesus. Rejecting Jesus. And here's why I want us to, to kind of walk down this road together. Because we need to find out what caused people to reject the Son of God and make sure that we clear our hearts of whatever motive that is. Because we, are, we love to preach about it. We love to wag our fingers and shake our heads about those, those horrible people in the days of Jesus. But we are no better than they are. We are just as finicky just as fickle as they are, so we better find out what the root of rejection is in these people's lives so we can make sure we guard our hearts. But we also can learn from Jesus how to handle rejection because all of us have and will have to deal with rejection at some point. So today we're going to dive into a three-part series called Rejecting Jesus. Today's message is comfortable with crazy. Comfortable with with crazy. I'm not talking about the person that you're seated next to, so please don't point. 
We're talking about comfortable with crazy. We're going to be in Mark chapter 5. So let's go to verses 16 and 17, please. Mark chapter 5, verses 16 and 17. We're going to start sort of at the end and then circle back and fill in the gaps, all right? Then those who had seen what happened told the others about the demon-possessed man and the pigs, and the crowd began pleading with Jesus to go away and leave them alone. The crowd began pleading with Jesus to go away and leave them alone. The people of this town rejected Jesus. And and you'll see this in a minute. But he solved a problem for them that they had been unable to solve for themselves. He not only saved a man's soul, but he honestly saved his life. And in return, not only did they not fall at the feet of Jesus in gratitude and in surrender, they demanded that he leave their town. So what in the world happened? Why did they reject Jesus? And that's what we have to find out. So let's go all the way back to the beginning. Mark 5, verse 1. Let's read the first five verses together. So they arrived, Jesus and his disciples, arrived on the other side of the lake in the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out from a cemetery to meet him. This man lived among the burial caves and could no longer be restrained even with a chain. Whenever he was put into chains and shackles, as he often was, please notice that, as he often was, he snapped the chains from his wrists and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Day and night, he wandered, wandered among the burial caves and the hillsides, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. Now, the fact that this guy was often placed in chains tells me that he, what he was doing was impacting the daily lives or the well-being of the citizens of the village. Otherwise, why even mess with him? If it's not a problem, why even go there? Clearly, this was a problem for this town. This was not something that was just flying under the radar. This was not some urban legend. This was not some myth that people pass around, the kids pass around on the playground. This was more than a nuisance. This guy was a problem. If you got a crazy naked guy howling in the hills behind your house, you got a problem. You can't say amen to that. Come on, it it don't get bigger than that, right? So that was a problem. Let's look at at verses 6 through 8. We'll keep reading. When Jesus uh, was still some distance away, the man, the demon-possessed man, ran to meet Jesus and bowed low before him. With a shriek, he screamed, Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In the name of, of God, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already said to the Spirit, Come out of the man, you evil spirit. Now, this may seem like a little bit of a detour. Hopefully, I can get us back around to where we started. But I really feel compelled to point this out from this passage, okay? Despite the fact that this man was full of demons, those demons could not stop him from getting to Jesus. If they could have, they would have. Valerie spoke about last week, and she doesn't normally say anything 
publicly, but she really felt compelled to share. And last week she shared about the, the, the need for believers, specifically she was talking about the need for us in our lives to, to walk in authority, to take proper authority in our lives, the authority that the Lord gives us. Jesus said we have authority. We have spiritual authority in our lives. He said we have the authority to, to bind and loose. Binding and loosing is about permission, it's about granting permission or, or revoking permission. This man was demon-possessed because at some point in his life, he had granted permission for these forces of darkness to enter his world. He had given them permission. But please don't miss this. Despite the fact that he was of his own fault, so full of the devil, the moment he knew Jesus was coming, he made a beeline for Jesus. And I want you to hear this. You have authority over your life. You have authority over yourself. No matter what the enemy has done to you or in you or around you, when you get tired of what the enemy is doing to you, you can run to Jesus. You can revoke the permission of the enemy to operate in your life. He, now, he's going to lie to you, and he's going to try to convince you that, that you can't go to Jesus. He'll try to convince you Jesus doesn't want you. He'll try to convince you of all kinds of lies because that's all he does. But when, when you decide that it, you want to get to Jesus, you can. So if you're bound by anything today, run to Jesus. Run to him. Fall at his feet and ask for his help. This is why I preach and beg and plead for us to worship him in spirit and in truth. This is why I preach and beg and plead for us to take our services seriously and truly pursue God, truly lift Jesus up. Why? Because there are people who are suffering. If you think that spiritual warfare stopped when Jesus died on the cross, you are sadly mistaken. If anything, the, the intense, it intensified when he died on the cross because the enemy knows his days are numbered and he's working hard and he's still hurting people. He's still binding people. There are people who are suffering. There are people who are hurting. There are people who need to be delivered. And sometimes they show up in our services, thank God. And, and sometimes it's taken everything they could to drag themselves to the house of the Lord for a church service. That's why we've got to create an atmosphere where they can get the relief that they need. Because this man could see Jesus getting out of the boat. He just looked across the field and he saw him on the shore. People can't do that anymore. We can't physically see him anymore, so we have to create an atmosphere where people, even people who don't know Jesus yet, can recognize without a doubt that Jesus is here. Not some whipped up emotional experience, a genuine manifestation of God's presence so that people can know that he is mighty to save and mighty to heal and mighty to deliver. And sometimes sinners recognize that before we do. See, people didn't run to Jesus because he was cool. They, didn't, they ran to him because he had the power to help them. 
And in a world where people only know Jesus now through the people who claim his name, God help us. This had better be a church that isn't known for being cool, that isn't known for being trendy, that isn't known for the show. This better be a church where real people with real problems can encounter a real God with real power to change their lives. This has got to be a place where if somebody can just get here, they can find Jesus. They can find deliverance. They can find healing. They can find what they need. Let's go to verse 9, verse 10. Jesus demanded, what's your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, because there are many of us inside this man. The evil spirits begged him again and again not to send them to some distant place. See, the, the demons already recognize they're not living in this guy any longer. Jesus had already told them to get out. What they're doing now is negotiating where they're going to go next. They already know this guy's off the table. Notice the demons wanted to stay there. They said, don't send us some far off place. We, we kind of like it here. We'd like to stay around here. Why? Could it be that they had open access to do whatever they wanted to do there? Could it be that there was so little resistance in that area that they just wanted to stay and continue to cause craziness in that, in that town? When people don't understand authority, they become easy targets for the, for the enemy. These demons said, we like it here. We don't want to leave. God forbid that, that any forces of the enemy say, we don't want to leave covenant life. We kind of like it here. We, don't want, we want to stay around where they are. God forbid. May this be a place where we understand the authority that God has given us so that we can be a beacon of hope for those who are being destroyed by the enemy in our community. Let's keep reading. We're almost back to where we started, 11 through 13. There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby. Send us into those pigs, the spirit begged. The spirits begged, let us enter them. So Jesus gave them permission. The evil spirits came out of the man, entered the pigs, whole herd of 2,000 pigs plunged down the steep hillside into the lake, drowned in the water. See, the demons thought they had gotten what they wanted, but Jesus had the last word. This is where, but this is where things start to unravel for this community. This is the root of the rejection. All right, so let's, let's finish this out. Verse 14. And we'll go back through where we started from. The herdsmen, now unemployed, fled to the... I mean, they, if they ain't a herd, you're not a herdsman. <laughs> you're just lonely in a pasture. The herdsmen fled to the nearby town and the, and the surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. Uh, people rushed out to see what had happened, obviously. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus, and they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. He was sitting there, fully clothed, and perfectly sane, and they were all, look at this, they were all afraid. Then those who had seen what happened, this is where we started, told the others about the demon-possessed man and the pigs, and the crowd began pleading with Jesus to go away and leave them alone. Verse 15 tells us why they rejected Jesus. Because they were afraid. And here's what I, what I want you to see today. Fear causes people to reject Jesus. Fear causes people to reject Jesus. What were they afraid of? 
What in the world were they afraid of? Well, let's think about this. They had tried to fix this guy, right? They tried to control him. They put shackles on him, tried to make him wear clothes. They did everything they could. And then they walk up on this scene, seated at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And instead of being filled with awe or filled with gratitude or filled with worship, they were filled with fear, afraid of a God who had the power to do what they never could. Afraid of the radical change that happens when Jesus shows up in the middle of your mess. When Jesus delivered the demoniac of of Gadara, the people of the town told Jesus to leave. They were frightened by his power to deliver, but they also may have just preferred the status quo. Just don't mess with what we're used to. We're used to managing what we're managing now. Don't mess with that. Or they could have been really ticked off that he destroyed their livelihoods by allowing the pigs to die. And we're going to talk about that in the next week or so as well. Either way, despite the fact that Jesus had solved their problem, they still rejected Jesus. They were comfortable with crazy. They were comfortable with the craziness of their lives, despite the fact that it was this this, uh, evil, spiritually infused atmosphere. They were comfortable with it. More comfortable with a demon-possessed man than with the God who commands those demons to flee. They were more comfortable with demons than deliverance. More comfortable with chains than with change. The demons had terrorized them, but somehow it was Jesus who terrified them. They saw the man clothed and in his right mind, and they lost theirs. They were comfortable with crazy. They were not comfortable with freedom. See, people fear and that, that bother, that's bothered me. I'd read this passage and I'd just scratch my head and just go, what in the world? Why were they not comfortable with the freedom that Jesus offered? Because people fear what they can't control. People fear what they don't understand. People fear what they haven't experienced. And all of those things came into play in, in this instance right here. So, John, what, what, must, what might cause me to reject Jesus? What might cause me to ask Jesus to leave a certain situation or a certain area of my life? And the Word's already answered it for us. Fear. Fear causes rejection. So what causes fear? Is it a lack of faith? What is it? And, and I've found that it's not, it's not always a lack of faith. Maybe even not usually. See, I don't think fear is the opposite of faith. I think the opposite of faith is pride. See, you can can step out in obedience to God, step out in faith to do what he's called you to do, and still be absolutely scared to death. Have any of you ever been obedient and terrified all at the same time? I think that happens all the time. Maybe usually, that way you, you really know it's God, Right? But you, so you can step out in obedience to God, in faith to God, and still be scared. You will not obey God if you're full of pride. Faith is the utter dependence upon God to manifest what it is that you hope for and what you have not yet seen. 
Pride is the utter dependence upon yourself and your wisdom and your intelligence and your resources and your connections. If we're going to accept what God has for us, which only comes by faith, then we're going to have to first admit that we're wrong and then accept the fact that we have absolutely no power to change it. See, what causes me to reject help in my life is that internal resistance that I have to admit that I've failed. Does anybody just love to say, I was completely wrong? I hate it. I think most people do. I, I hate to say, hey, I swung and missed. I, I, I can't control the outcome. I, I, I can't control anything. I have no idea what's going on and no idea what to do about it. Y'all ever faced a few of those situations? What, what really scares me is admitting that I'm wrong. And that's a pride issue. It's probably been at the root of every, how shall we say this, um, intense conversation that I've had with Valerie. Because um, pastors don't fight, right? We don't fight with our wives. With intense conversations. Um, at the root of pretty much every one of those and really at any other relationship, at the root of almost every church hurt, at the root of every divorce, at the root of every failure of a business partnership, at the, at the root of almost everything, it's the fear of admitting failure or the fear of admitting that you need something or someone else. And it's taken decades of my life, decades of failure to get me to the place where I'm willing to hear correction most of the time. Willing to admit defeat. Willing to humble myself before the Lord and ask for help to do things his way. Now here's a really important and probably really offensive question. How long are we going to keep beating our heads against the same wall? How long is it going to take before we simply stop and admit that what we're doing is not working? How long are we going to stay comfortable with the craziness that's in our lives? It takes humility to come to God and to say, please help me because I am powerless to do anything about this. I am powerless to help myself. It always, it always makes me cringe when I hear a book, a new book that's come out uh, this, that's, that's labeled as Christian self-help. What? If we could help ourselves, there would have been no need for God to send Jesus to this earth. If you're depending on yourself to help you, you need help. But not from yourself and not from anybody else. We, we have got to admit that we need God and we're completely helpless, completely powerless to help ourselves. So what about, so we have to humble ourselves. We have to get the pride out. If we're going to avoid um, rejecting Jesus in our lives, we're going to have to humble ourselves, repent, and get the pride out. Now what about other people? When other people reject you, people that you're trying to help, but they don't want to hear it. They reject you. They reject your help. Listen, don't be surprised by a person's preference for the way things have always been no matter how bad they are. 
you, have you ever been in a situation like that or tried to help somebody out of a situation like that? You, and t- until you're on the inside of one of those situations, it's really hard to wrap your mind around what it is that's going on with them. But the reality is you can't help a person who doesn't want to be helped. And the, and the reality is neither can God. Until a person is ready to surrender and change... They'll continue to be repulsed by God and repelled, and they will, they will repel his advances. They'll reject Jesus because they're more comfortable with crazy. Whatever, however that's defined in that person's life. For years, we had a Celebrate Recovery ministry here at the church where we tried to help those, who, according to CR, who, who had problems with hurts and habits and hang-ups in their lives. Addictions, cycles of behavior that they were stuck in. And it was exhausting work for the volunteers. Celebrate Recovery said the average uh, uh, CR leader only lasted about 18 months. Why? Because it's hard. It's hard because many of them were court-mandated to be there. And it's hard to want something for someone more than they want it for themselves. It's hard to see a person struggle, to help them identify the problem, to offer them the solution and then see them return to that chemical or to that person or to that habit over and over and over again. Despite the chaos it was causing in their lives, they were more comfortable with the crazy. Why? Because that kind of life change is scary. So they push you aside, they betray you, they lie to you, they reject you. As we are preparing to to welcome the House of Cherith West campus here, uh, there's a, like, like a, a lot of you have, I started trying to educate myself several months ago, educate myself about sex trafficking and this issue. One of the things that shocked me is that it can take as many as seven times, seven rescues, seven attempts at rehab before a trafficked woman is truly freed from that lifestyle. Why? That makes absolutely no sense to us on the outside. Why in the world, when you've been rescued from the horrors of a life that 80 to 90% of them did not sign up for in the first place, why would you ever choose to go back into it? Fear. Fear is a huge factor. It's It's a horrible life, but it's what they know. That's my grandson preaching for me. It's a horrible life, but it's what they know. They they've been brainwashed to believe that they deserve it, that they can't do anything else, that if they try to live without the, that drug or without their pimp or without, or, or, or without doing this, they'll fall on their faces. Change is hard, and it's scary. And so they often reject it over and over again. But listen, as we start to work with these women, as we start to welcome them into our church and into our congregation, we're going to still be there for them. Even if they come and go five times, we're still going to be here welcoming them back, not judging them, not criticizing them, not putting them down, not berating them or belittling them. Why? Because it might have looked different. It might have been a different issue. But for every one of us has done the exact same thing in our lives. How many times have we prayed and repented and confessed whatever it is that was in our lives that, we're, that we know is not pleasing to God, and it ain't three days and we're right in the middle of it again, right? No different. It's no different. So if people reject you when you're sincerely trying to help them, 
It may be because you're pushing them towards a future that just looks or feels scary. Even if the future is far better than their current reality, fear is a powerful emotion. Some of you are trying to bring order to a situation in your life or to help bring order in the lives of other people in your life and you're being pushed away. You're being rejected. You're being asked to step out of their lives or at least that area of their lives. This is a really important principle that I want you to see that we're learning from Jesus that I hope will help us when we, when we are being rejected. And that's this. Rejection does not require rejection in return. Just because you get rejected does not mean you have to reject the other person. And I want to show you how Jesus handled this rejection. Let's go to verse 18. We finished up at 17. Let's go to 18. They asked him to leave their, pleaded with him to leave their town and leave them alone. Verse 18 says, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus said, no, go home to your family. Tell him everything the Lord's done for you, how merciful he's been So the man started off to visit the ten towns of the region and began to proclaim the great things Jesus had done. And everyone was amazed at what he told them. They asked Jesus to leave. So what did Jesus, the Son of God, do? Did he call down fire on their village? Did did he do another miraculous sign so maybe they'd believe this time? No. What did Jesus do when they rejected him? He left. They asked him to leave. He left. If people reject you, you don't have the right to force yourself upon them. You might have to leave the life or an area of the life of somebody that you love. Here's the question, though. Are we going to be humble enough to handle the rejection without feeling the need to lash out? I think most of us would have opted for calling fire down, right? We're going to scorch your behind on the way out. Right? I'm going to show you who the Son of God is. That's, that's, what, that's James and John, right? That's, they were going to do that. That may be where I get that from, my namesake. I, I'd, I'd call fire down for sure. But if we get offended and we, get, we demand to be in somebody's life, we demand that they listen to us, now who's got the problem with pride? We've taken their issue, we've taken their problem, and made it all about ourselves. Jesus suffered the ultimate rejection when they hung him on the cross, right? And what did he say? Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. They don't even know what they're doing. I would have definitely opted for the angels to come and take me down and punish the wrongdoers. That's not what Jesus did. He turned to the thief who had just a few moments before had been ridiculing him and rejecting him, but now had suddenly had this epiphany, recognized the error of his ways, and Jesus says, Dude, it's cool. We're going to be together in paradise before long. What in the world is that about? He was, most of us, when we get rejected, we say, that's it. That's it. You're never going to have a chance to reject me again. That's not what Jesus did. We can't cure our hurt feelings by lashing out at the one who hurt us. Now, maybe this will help. When Jesus was rejected, maybe this, maybe this perspective will help. Jesus left the town, but he also left a seed. He left the town, as they asked him to do, but he left behind a seed of truth. He left behind a witness. He he told the man who had just been delivered, you can't go with me because I need you here. 
You have to stay here. They won't listen to me, but they'll listen to you. I'm going to leave, but I'm not going to give up. Sometimes a person who rejects you is just overwhelmed. They're just overwhelmed by a circumstance. They're just comfortable with crazy. Scared of what the journey might require of them, the journey to freedom. But if you will stay close and stay humble when their season changes or when they see the error of their ways or when they just finally hit rock bottom, they may very well come back to you if you've managed to stay close. The question again is, are we going to humble ourselves enough to handle the rejection without feeling the need to lash, to lash out at them? You see, we're going to deal with rejection in all kinds of ways. Sometimes people reject our help. Sometimes they reject our advice. Sometimes they reject us altogether. If somebody in your life is more comfortable with crazy, then give them the grace and give them the space that they need. Stop, stop talking about that issue every time you see them. Nagging has never, nobody's ever been nagged into the kingdom of God. Right? Does anybody wake up in the morning and just go, I really hope somebody will nag me today. I just so love to be nagged said no one ever, right? So nagging is not going to change anybody's life. If they reject you or your advice, then just be quiet, but be present if they'll let you. It gives them hope, but it gives them space. And it gives God time to water the seeds that you've sown in their lives, the things that you've planted in the relationship. Rejection is difficult. It's hard. But God is able. He's able to help you He's able to help them if we'll stay humble and if we'll let him. I'm going to ask you to stand with me if you don't mind. I appreciate your patience today. I appreciate your attentiveness. If you have a need in your life and you really sense that Jesus is calling you, don't reject him. Don't reject him. Be humble enough to admit that there's a problem. Be humble enough to say, I'm bound, I'm sick, I'm hurt, I just, I'm broken, I'm tired. He's, he's cool. With, he already knows that. And he says, come to me. All of you who are just like that, you can find freedom, you can find healing, you can find love and truth and rest for your weary soul. Don't reject Jesus today. If you have already done that in some area of your life, if you've been too comfortable with the craziness, too proud to admit your need, too scared to step out, it's not too late to open a closed door. Jesus said, Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if you'll open the door, I'll come in. Open the doors that you may have closed previously and welcome Jesus into your life. Let him come in and set things straight. And, and, and let him teach you to walk in the authority that he's given to you. And then here's the last thing. If you've been rejected, pushed away, still living with the pain, with the anger, with the bitterness of that rejection, come to Jesus today. Don't carry that around. That grudge is never going to get you to freedom. That grudge is never going to make you feel better. Release that unforgiveness. Repent of carrying that and experience the freedom and the humility and the peace that Jesus provides. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray, and this altar is open. If you'd like to come and pray about rejection, about any other issue in your life, 
you're welcome to come and pray. And if you want somebody to pray with you, if you'll just come and stand, you know, this is a crazy world now. So if you'll just come and stand, we'll know that you want to be prayed for. And if you want to, be, if you want to pray by yourself, that's completely, perfectly fine. You just come and kneel, and we'll know you want to be left alone. Okay? But they're going to sing, lead us in one more song. We'll be dismissed together after that song. Please don't rush for the exits. Please take three or four minutes in, in this sacred moment and hear what the Spirit is saying to you today. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for the chance to be uh, in your house, for the chance to be in your presence wherever we might be gathered. Lord, I pray that you would, uh, your Holy Spirit would search us and try us. And Lord, show us the areas of our lives where we need to stop rejecting you and just open our arms and surrender and invite you in. Lord, I pray that, that you would just lead us and guide us to freedom in every area of our lives, to healing, to help, to experience what it means to live and to walk in your grace and in your mercy. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to release and to forgive every person that we've held a grudge against who may have rejected us in the past and learn to, to walk in repentance and learn to walk in humility so that when the season changes, we can still be there for them. God, we love you. We thank you for the truth of your word, and we pray that you would help us to have the courage to apply it in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray that you have been blessed and inspired by today's Covenant Living broadcast. To find out more information about our ministry, just visit our website at www.covenantlifewestga.org. You can find this video there on our homepage. Just click the YouTube button and make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. Give us a call at 770-537-3747. That's 770-537-3747. At Covenant Life, our mission is to go and make disciples by being real, relational, and reaching. Be sure to join us next week for more Covenant Living with Pastor John Butler.